What's up? Welcome to the second ever Sundog Social podcast. I am joined by my co-host, Nick. What's going on? And our producer on the sidelines, Cam. Oh, hi. <laughs> Is that the best you could do? Really the best you could do? I, yeah, I don't like these introductions. Okay, fantastic. We're off to a great start. <laughs> but most importantly, obviously, the reason we're all here... We are joined by the monstrous, blackened, death, grind, sludgy, fuckfest, Chris Mal and Rob. Yes, in boys, how are you doing? Oh, very good. Hello. I, I hope that introduction wasn't too uh, wasn't wasn't too formal. Yeah, the fuckfest reference. The fuckfest is definitely accurate. About the rest of it, I don't know. From from what I've got from your music, that seems that seems mm. appropriate. I think all the other terms are a bit grandiose for what we bodge our way through, like so. But we'll take it. Thank you very much. We'll just go with fuckfest then. Fuckfest, yeah, fuckfest <laughs> is what we want to go for. <laughs> Pioneering a whole new genre. Yeah. <laughs> Depressed fuckfest. Depressed fuckfest. I love it. <laughs> Need to get that patented. So the first thing I want to talk about with you fellas, because I have little to no understanding of the northeast metal scene. This is the, the main thing I really wanted to just jump in and talk about straight away is if at all, or what is the the northeast metal scene in its entirety? So Newcastle, Washington, Sunderland, obviously. What is going on in, in the northeast? Well, at this moment in time, there's not a lot going on at all, really. But <laughs> yeah, if Corona didn't exist, there's a fair few bands up here, and there's actually some really good ones there. We're probably not the best example of the best bands in the Northeast, but we are one of them. But yeah, we've got some great bands. We've got uh, Geist from Durham. I don't know if you're aware of them. Yeah. Um, Live Burial from Newcastle. Plague Rider. Hell Crusher. Hell Crusher. Hell Crusher Grace. Mm. Like, band from back in the day, still going now. Decontrol. There's uh, the mighty Clunge Destroyer from Carlisle. I don't know if you're aware. Well, that's not really Northeast, but still, we've, we've taken them in as our own. We are the rich scene. A rich and complex scene. Yeah, that is a fantastic uh, incorporation into your community there. With <laughs> I love it. I love it. Because uh, where, where my references come for the Northeast is like the old bands, like Venom, Tigers of Pantang. That's what I know is the Northeast metal scene. And I know about Woden's Throne, and your code name is Milo, which are two completely different types of bands. But is there any one genre now in in the northeast? Because obviously those those all all those bands were completely different eras, different genres. Is is it very much what you're doing now, or is it like is it varied? In the northeast, it's a mixed bag. There's like a like a metal genre, like a metal scene going on, but at the same time, there's still people riding the coattails of indie that wasn't as good as it was in the nineties. If that makes any sense. It's yeah, a lot of sense. Quite a lot of like punk influence going around Sunderland, like the Future Heads and uh, Loudmouth and that. So that's always pretty. Uh, and people who are doing things in Sunderland in particular have uh, kind of they're in with that lot. Um, yeah, it's it's quite a good click when it's up and running, which it's kind of felt felt a bit. But there's a few venues in Sunderland alone. Uh, obviously, Newcastle has got like a couple. We've got the Metal Radio Arena. Um, so for the big that gets the big bands in. But more close to home, uh, we've got Trillions in Newcastle, which we've played a few times. I mean, I don't go out, like, as we've got older, we don't go out, like, every Friday and Saturday night and weeknights. Um, but before, when we were a bit younger, there was metal nights twice a week. So it was quite a thriving thing. We'd get bands on. I think the beauty of it now is that, that bands do sound different now. Because I remember in the mid-2000s, there used to be a million shitty metalcore bands in Sunderland. Each one sounded like uh, Every Time I Die. There used to be just tons of them. And now that everyone's a bit older and people have given up, the people that still want to do it <laughs> have developed their own sound, if you know what I mean, which is a bit of a benefit. But I would say hardcore punk is probably the most prevalent of the extreme styles around yeah. here. Like. So that that's that, that's the thing that's sort of like... The, the overarching genre then is the is the hardcore scene. Yeah, like uh, if there's a hardcore punk show, but even if it's like the crappiest little old school pub, it'll be rammed. And like we don't really get much of a, a sniff in those because we're kind of a bit too metal. I was I was gonna say uh, like with you guys saying that you might be a bit too metal to play the hardcore punk scene. Like when I was listening to bits of your music, I was getting like kind of bad brains tones for some of it. I was yeah. I was feeling a little bit of American hardcore coming out of it. I was really enjoying that. I mean, we've been invited onto quite a few gigs where 
we might be leaning towards the metal side, but we always return the favour and get like uh, the punky lads on our shows. We put any on. We'll play more to leaning towards metal, but we're still very much punk hardcore fans. Punk element, yeah. mm. It really so, comes out in your music. You guys are moving towards the more like blackened metal sludge kind of stuff, but you do some of your early stuff is still very hardcore influenced. Is is that something you're trying to hold on to? Because it, it sounds like you're moving away from it, but it, it also feels as a listener like it's very deep rooted in you. Or am I am I wrong? I think it's something we're gonna always we're gonna always go back to. But with that sort of style, there is a bit of a glass ceiling where how many songs can you do that are 90 seconds long? You know, we're all decent on our instruments as well. So it's good to be able to show that we can actually, you know, play instead of just making a ruckus. I mean, we started off for a bit of fun, um, <clears throat> and we just thought, what's fun? We'll just do some grindcore, just just go for it, just, you know, just powerhouse music. Um, but as we've kind of, because we've been doing it for about five years now, and we're starting like, trying to introduce more in, like more of our influences, we'll kind of experiment as we go along. Like For the new songs, I think we've drifted more towards, like, uh, the Swedish HM2, mixed with, like, a bit of Doom, and then, again, just the... Death and black stuff that we're always used to. So I think the, the new stuff like sounding good. So it's just constantly evolving, really. You're not you're not trying to like pin yourselves down as like, oh, we're doing this. That's what we're doing now, and it's just you're actually trying to do it more free flowing and just kind of see how things pan yeah. out. Because we keep doing the, the free flowing thing. It appeals to more people. You know, mm. some people like the old aspect. Some people like the kind of the punky aspect. Some people like the hardcore aspect. So it's just trying to appeal away. A bigger audience as well but but none of it's forced none no. of it's intent we're just doing it because we like it we we all know that there's no money in this and there's no hope in succeeding <laughs> but uh, uh i mean we're all in our mid-30s now playing in back rooms playing blast beats we're no not going to be on top of the pops for christmas like it's 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 uh well we'll sort of we'll come back to because I, I had an order of what I knew I wanted to ask you, but you've kind of touched on something I wanted to speak about later, but it's it's perfect because you're talking about how your sound is evolving there. And for me, when I was listening to uh, Garotted with Tinsel, Christmas number one, uh, <laughs> which is polar opposite to what you've done now with Guilt. Guilt seems very much more considered as a record. It sounds a lot more thought out and... Um, yeah, I, th- I think considered is the right word for me. And I, and I mean that wholeheartedly. I think it's concise and it's it's clear that you're trying to make an actual product with your record as opposed to sort of what you were doing before, even though you're still having fun with it, do you know what I mean? Well, before, the issue was that uh, we had more band members who used to be a four-piece. We'll discuss that in a second. Okay. But we have friends that can just record. And so we would just go once every few months and just record one song. And that was like the singles that were on the Spotify account. And they're just, just totally disparate, if you know what I mean. It's like, well, let's do a Christmas song. Let's do a, a song about Bosom and stuff like that. It was just, I mean, it was fun at the time, but last year we thought, why don't we just give it a bit of effort instead of finding around? And yeah. I think we came up with something pretty good. No, de- definitely. It's for me, because grindcore and hardcore is what I love predominantly. That's like the kind of music that I'm into most of the time. And and when I when I listen to your music, I I hear bands like Trap Them or Pigs Must Die, Nails. You get that grindcore influence, obviously. But then the way you've done Guilt as well, like I said, that idea of like the record seems more considered. I hear elements of like Bong Ripper and Car Bomb and stuff like that, where you've using all of these like deeper tunings, more sort of precise riffs and, and more intricate ideas. And I think. Uh, it definitely shows, and I, I genuinely don't mean that in a kiss-arsey way. Because if I'd if I'd have discovered your record without knowing about you, it'd still be something that I listen to purely because it does feel like it's it's up there in terms of that um, well thought well, out grindcore sort of scene. Another benefit was is that uh, last year we managed to write the songs in the most un-grindcore place ever. We wrote the songs in a disused gymnastics studio. Like we wrote in a, a room that had like crash mats, trapeze, like uh, loads of like trophies on the wall, disused uh, tutus and shit. So that that record was written in a gymnastic <laughs> studio, and then we compete because there was uh, people who remain nameless were storing counterfeit Chinese perfumes in the same room as we were writing it. So 
it was just a bit of an experience even writing it really so the fact that it's came across <laughs> as anything concise that's why we wrote so quickly just get in get out, yeah. get out. <laughs> it wasn't actually supposed to be a grind call record it just ended up being that quick because you just needed to get it done like <laughs> well with the amps that we use because as, as we're talking about bong ripper and stuff i'm inspired by them because they use a perverse amount of amplifiers but mm. we were told that in this gymnastics studio oh yeah guys just play as loud as you want no one will give a shit Five minutes into it, there was complaints from like three blocks, like to the left, the right. The, sh- the roller shutters on the front of the building were shaking, and people mm-hmm. were like, This is just ungodly. This is as well. You said we could play as loud as we want, so you let us come play. That's you get you get what you uh, you get what you asked for. Two I mean, twos I- are falling off the wall. First place ribbons were just there, pulverized from the roof. <laughs> Is that the name of the next record? Two twos pulverized. It'll be the next record. You might you might label yourself as a very different sort of kind of people then if you Well, we're moving from Fest Core to where uh, Gymnastic Podium Core is the next uh, style up. <laughs> oh, it's strong. That's a that's a that's a strong ad campaign right there. <laughs> With that, we kind of going back full circle to the where you guys are based, obviously, and and the scene that has existed there prior with bands, like I said, with like Venom and stuff like that. Do you feel connected with those older bands from the Northeast, or do you see yourselves connected with America or places like that where you find more of your kind of music? Well, the thing with Venom is they came up with the first wave of black metal, and that never really resonated with myself. It was always the second wave stuff. So like a few years ago, we all went to Norway just for a pure exploration to try and seep in the culture. We didn't really get culture. We just had a lot of Subway Sarnies and got frozen as fuck about for about four days. But uh, <laughs> the old school stuff from Venom, I, I don't feel a lot of connection personally, but you never see them around. I mean, the, they're a band that were out in the prime before our time. Um, they're, they're that big. It's kind of like we don't really know them on a local uh, level. Um, obviously, they're not playing around here. Oh, I mean, yeah, they're kind of they're kind of synonymous, aren't they? Like when when you hear, I think it's it's bigger than the northeast, really. What yeah. they did. So, um, I mean, obviously, it's it's cool that we're playing in the same areas that they that they might play. You know, never know. I think with Venom though as well, you just got to think it might not be everyone's cup of tea, but because of them, so many other bands kind of kicked off across the world and have made so mm. many different styles. I, just, I think it's it's hard as well when you think back to when bands like that started and you. I think if we, were, if we were there at the time, it would have absolutely blown us away. I think it's just because we're, we're kind of, in a lot of ways, backtracking on stuff we might have missed, uh, going back to all the bands that were obviously weren't around for. Um, sometimes it doesn't hit as hard, but I think if you, you can obviously say the influences in that, so it, it's no doubt in the importance um, of bands like that. Mm. No, definitely. Yeah, that, that was that was just the one thing that I wasn't sure about, obviously, because, I, like I said, I didn't know much about the, the northeast scene now. But, you know, it's... You, you often hear like when someone comes from a city or whatever that they, they draw from those influences previously because like in Liverpool we had Corrupt Moral Altar um, fantastic bunch of lads very similar to you guys if you haven't heard of them before but they were influencing the Liverpool scene with what they were doing so it's always interesting to know about what goes on with the different areas in the UK because it is so diverse in terms of what actually gets played and what the, uh, the influences were before that yeah yeah, we, I mean, we obviously get doing gigs around our way. Like, we're, we're there is like a like a click or like there's just like a community of bands that we all kind of cross paths with and do uh, do gigs with here and there. But then we're we're going to Leeds, we're going to uh, Manchester. Our last gig, um, trying to branch out a bit. So it's starting to get like obviously you, you meet people from down south at these gigs. So you kind of it's more of a, I don't know network, like you yeah. feel a network around the country rather than uh, like obviously now and again you get bands from abroad. Um, so yeah, we just don't really, I mean, it's just a normal Sunderland, Newcastle, just normal cities with rock bars, the book gigs on, there's people who go to them, you know, it's just, uh, it's like any other city really, um, like I said, said before, when it's, when it's up and running, which hopefully it will be soon, um, it, it, it does thrive. Do you have any potential gigs for over the summer, possibly that you might want to talk about or be able to? We've got a, a few festivals, which... We won't name who we're pestering. And we've got, we've got, I don't want to say fans of ours, but kind of friends who are also pestering these festivals. Um, we've recently put a grant in for some money from the Arts Council to put something big on in Sunderland when things get back mm-hmm. to normal. Hopefully that will come back. Good. It's just a waiting game at the minute. Because we thought about the year ago is that you can't stop waiting for the, the scene 
to get up to the standard you want. So we have to kind of action it. So we started doing our own gigs and we had planned for October last year, like a full all day gig, bands from all over the company to come up. And then obviously that was cancelled. But once everything's available again, we're not just going to wait for the shows to come. We're going to we're going to take the bulls by the horn and just do it ourselves. I think that's the only way to make money doing gigs these days, to be honest. Um, I mean, every time we've done it in the past, we've made a loss, but just all part and parcel because if we don't do it and nobody else does it, then you've got no scene. So at least we're lucky enough to have enough in our pot from selling yeah. shirts and CDs that we mm. can put these on, if you know what I mean. I think as well, when, when you rely on a promoter, you forget that promoter is probably getting, you know, dozens of messages and emails asking them, from bands asking to be on the show. So they can't always please everyone. So it's just good to, to do it ourselves. I was just going to say, it's a very hard game when, you're, when you've got a promoter and they've just been bombarded with messages for wanting gigs. Because I know that within the metal industry, it's going to be a very, there's going to be very much big difference, like going to gigs. Do you expect people to be like sitting down or do you expect people to be around each other again, like not socially distanced? Well, with regards to social distance, we did a bit of an experiment last year that during the gaps between the, the first and the second lockdown is that we did a gig where we were in one room and it was streamed by a tele, uh, by webcam yeah, into the room. other room. And there was just no feeling at all. Like that type of stuff just does not work. It's hard to capture it unless you're physically there. And it's it's not just a one-way street. You get the feedback from the audience. Like you get in the audience, you're playing with them there on the stage and stuff like that. While if you're just playing and people are sat down or people are watching through a screen in another room, it's just you get no feeling from it at all, especially with this type of music. Yeah, I think I think definitely with sort of metal culture and wanting to be able to mosh and just all kind of pile in, it's, it's going to be different without that. But I completely agree with what you were saying about kind of online virtual gigs not having that same feeling i've been talking to a few industry members recently promoters and managers of various acts and they're talking to me about trying to put on these sort of virtual gigs and they're saying like it's just as good because like the band can interact with the comments online while they're sort of playing live and i'm like yeah but like it's just it's just not as good like you're lying to yourselves aren't you like surely you're lying to yourselves you don't think this is going to be anywhere near as good it's nice to see people just kind of a bit like yeah we're going to wait till it gets better well, also with these online gigs, it's good because it, it puts a little bit of money in these bands' pockets. But if you think about it in the long in the long scale, like it's a dangerous precedent to allow bands just to do these online shows. Then it stops it. It takes away the need for the band to come and tour. So mm -hmm. it, it's a fine line. I mean, obviously the bands have got to survive, and I'm totally for that and earn a bit of money. But do we want the future just to be or is it on Friday night, on Friday night on. pay per view and that's it? Then that's live music totally finished. That's mm. kind of a this precedent with what we're facing with at this moment in time. It's interesting you talk about it like that as a as a potential future uh you know medium. And I never thought of it like that way that it could possibly end up being a, a replacement. You know, th there's no way that could work for the likes of you in terms of what you're doing. You need the people, you need the bodies in the room, you need the, you know, the energy. I mean, most styles of music, imagine techno without people in the room, like it would just be shit, let's be honest. You wouldn't have people dribbling over each other all carried <laughs> off their heads, like, you know. That's part of the charm, they'll be doing on their own. <laughs> yeah, just people sat in the living room sniffing cat, like just... <laughs> <laughs> With their fucking cat. Yeah, just riding <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting you said it, put it like that because I never actually thought of it as a worrisome thing that it could actually take over as a medium. You know, I mean, you've got people like Facebook trying to monetize these live gigs now. On, on Facebook, you're trying to stop people from posting music when people can't go and post music anywhere else. It's, it, you don't want to give, I mean, I don't want to sound like a mad conspiracy theorist, but you don't want to be given control of not only your art, but the enjoyment of other people's art to a corporate entity. And by only going through like Facebook, Spotify, all these other big tech groups, it's quite easy for you to be totally lost in the shuffle. And then you just, you're back to the point where it's the eighties again, where it's like big labels, where mm. you're only getting what the big labels approve and all the, the small acts and the other bands that you could have enjoyed are just going to go back to the wayside. So that's a thought. It doesn't really apply to metal and bands so much, but uh, one thing I think will come back if we don't start seeing normal shows resume is illegal raves. People will start doing their own thing, like we're going to set up an outdoor thing rather than wait for someone to put one on, like Rob said. Like, I don't think people will settle for 
this whole streaming thing like it uh, mm. it'll change one way or the other no for no for sure definitely and it you you mean you've I've, I've already seen people setting up like these illegal raves for house and trance or drum and bass and whatnot and you know like you said if I, <laughs> the way i see it if if metalheads could be asked then they probably would have done that by now but most metalheads and we're, we're usually a little bit socially like we'll take a step back and then instead of doing an illegal rave we'll wait until a few mates come round, and then maybe we'll get to it but no definitely i think it would have happened by now in the in the metal community possibly that like we've thought about it but i don't want to be us to be ethically in the wrong six months later if you know what i mean it might be fun at the time but you don't want in the future you look back and think we well, certainly you shouldn't have done that yeah so You'd be slapped with a big £1,000 fine or something, do you know what I mean? Yeah, just for playing a few crop riffs in the back room somewhere, you just, you've just ruined yourself, if you know what I mean. Morals <laughs> aside, it would be very interesting. It would be like, it would just be very sort of socially interesting to see metal rave, like illegal metal raves start popping up. Trying to see you all run out of the venue with a big fucking 4x12 <laughs> PV and like an EVH <laughs> on your head, like, oh shit, it's the Rosas, like, just trying to get out <laughs> Fighting off police with Mesa with boogie amps, it'd be yeah. fantastic. Because I would love to see the bunch of crust pumps that haven't been washed in about six months. <laughs> and a good old run after having about ten cans of orangey boom, trying to carry, <laughs> trying to carry a drum rack. To be honest, there's a reason that the illegal the illegal gigs wouldn't happen because if you had at least even ten cross punks in the room, it would smell so bad that you wouldn't be able to put the fucking gig on in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> a special bonding with uh, yeah. some of the crusties. Like we go out of our way at gigs just to make friends with some of the cross punks because they're a dying breed, and you've just got. Like, I treat them like a charity, if you know what I mean. It's just like <laughs> they're carrying the torch for the next generation, like. Fuck me, I just, out of all the subgenres of people, I just can't understand the crust books, but I fucking love them. Yeah. They are. <laughs> right, so uh, on that note, we'll take a little break, then we'll come back after that and we'll, uh, we'll jump straight back into it. Welcome back. We are here again in the Sundog Social <coughs> Podcast, and we are here with the boys from Yersin. How's it going, boys? Are you feeling refreshed? Yeah. That's that was the least refreshed I've ever heard anyone sound. Refreshed as we get, buddy. We are <laughs> <laughs> you and Northern misery. I love it. I love it. The the one thing that I wanted to talk about next was uh, we spoke briefly on the phone about it, Rob, was the the promoter issue. We had a brief conversation about promoters, uh, management, and I had my opinions about it, which echoed very much what you were saying, but you had some feelings towards some promoters that were in the Northeast that had been uh, maybe causing a scene and have now been sort of rightly brought to justice. Is this a is this a common occurrence for you guys? Have you been recent repeatedly fucked over by these sort of people? Or um, I think the, the people in question who will, will remain nameless, mm -hmm. not to give them public any more publicity. Mm -hmm. We've kind of only had one dealing with them. We weren't, you know, fucked over in the way that other people other people been. were, other employees were. Mm -hmm. um, it's not a, a massive thing. It's just when you get promised things by promoters, you know, things like payment or just the rider requests. You know, we don't really ask for much. When you don't get little things like that, it kind of shows us they don't really care about the local talent. They're more interested in making sure that the touring talent is looked after better than, you know, the guys who are making the local scene. Mm. From my experience as well, being in heavy metal bands previously, I feel like the metal scene, from my experience, is more plagued with this shit than a lot of the other sort of scenes around. I think it's because certain promoters, especially for the bigger gigs, look down on 
extreme music as sort of a like a lower art form and also because generally we do re- uh, generate less money than uh, say even a, a third rate covers band so we're trapped with like not disdain but our needs or our whatever basic requirements that we we'll have are basically just thrown away one of the benefits of being in a incredibly unsuccessful band like ourselves is that we deal with uh just local promoters on on a general tip who understands that we're just trying to play music we're not out trying to make a living off it so the smaller the promoter generally the better dealings that you have with them so that that's generally our thoughts but they see the they see the no money in it and so they treat you like shit basically that's mm. that's our understanding of it I think in the local promoters games or maybe just the promoters game for kind of where we're at, there are a lot of sharks in the pool though. I know in Liverpool, local bands very rarely get paid for their work, no matter what they're promised. And it's incredibly hard to chase it down because it's all cash in hand anyway. So no one ever gets paid at the end of the day. Yeah, that's what we've dealt with. So whenever we've put a gig on, and as I said, we've very rarely even break even, but we always so band so cash. The band has to be paid because that was the deal. I think a lot of the times as well, the, the bigger promoters in Newcastle and Sunderland promote themselves as faceless. They've hired other people to work for them and they're just following orders. So you can't really harass random dual blogs for some money that you're owed what their bosses promise, if that makes sense. Yeah, the bug doesn't usually stop at them. There's some sort of middleman or hire. And then just can't get hold of you. know, they seem to disappear. Numbers change, email addresses change. Yeah. How long do you spend chasing a few quid? Mm. We don't really want to be chasing money and here and keeping up the same day with people who are going to treat us like that. We just want to stay out of the way and anything comes our way, it's a bonus. Yeah, I think we'd rather play gigs where there's no guaranteed payments, but then at the end we get a bit of petrol cash or something rather than get promised the earth and then we don't get anything. For me, in my experience with it all, you either get the, the promoter who tells you to promote the gig and you'll get paid X amount for how many tickets you sell and you're like, well, aren't you supposed to be promoting the gig to people? Why am I now trying to make the money back off the promotions that you should be doing? That's the, that's the common one for me is where the promoter then offloads his responsibility onto all the musicians as if thinking that they never promote their own gigs anyway. Um, especially in the, the metal scene with doing like metal to the masses and stuff like that. Um, Here's a question for you. What do you think about the metal to the masses gimmick that I have going? What, what's your thoughts on that? So I was involved with it probably some, we're going back now, probably like 2012. That's when I did Metal to the Masses, I think. And I played in a, in a venue in a town called Devizes. We did, the, we did the quarters there, and then I think we did the semis in Bristol. We made it through. But that, that, that semi-final was really interesting because the band that won had a certain gimmick about them, but it also... Right transpired that they were very well connected with the promoters mm-hmm. so subsequently none of those fucking gigs had anything to do with the quality of music that was actually played now unbiased we were technically the best band out of everybody there we performed the best we were the most proficient in our instruments and we put on the best show and for us to not even get a mention in that for us was not disheartening because that's how a competition is, but it was confusing. And when we found out the sort of underlying issues with that, that's when we started to really notice this about the metal to the masses situation. It was it was about numbers. It was not about talent. And that's how I always felt. I don't know if you feel the same. I think our, our experiences are exactly the same as yours. We've played the Newcastle Heats. And again, totally unbiased. Well, I can't say totally unbiased, but there was this one occasion where it was the quarterfinals and we just smoked everyone there. Yeah. And I had most people there. There was people like, it was, it was a great night. Mike sounds so much in the crowd surfing. It was... There were good bands that we were playing with, no doubt. That it just, I, I was always under the impression Bloodstock was more of an extreme metal festival, yeah. especially when it first came about. It was the band's download wooden book kind of thing. Um, and we were definitely the only people playing Blast Beats, DB, Thrash, Drums. <laughs> like, you know, like it was us and a lot of rock bands that. Fair enough. I mean, we're not taking anything away from the plane, but no. we thought just for the style of music, we fit the bill a bit better. Um, it was a metal show, really, and like I say, it was a hard rock yeah. competition, really. There was a review of one of the gigs we played, and our caption line was, this band is ideal for Bloodstock. <laughs> and then I was like, so if, 
if you're putting the gig on and we're ideal for bloodstock, how aren't we at least in the final? Like that's and it, as you said, gimmick bands always get through. Yeah. I'm 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 going to say bitter, but if you've got a gimmick and you've done one rehearsal before, you're through. And I'm, that's all we're going to say about that because I don't want to I dig myself a hole with people in a local area. But. Like, I, I see it from both sides. Mm-hmm. Like the bands we've played with were all were all good bands and all like you know competent at their um, instruments, but it wasn't extreme. It was like kind of blues rock. And, you know, I've been to Bloodstock twice and at no point I said, I'm going here to see some blues rock. <laughs> <laughs> Another issue I have with not just Metal of the Masses, but any of these band competitions is, is that they're probably doing more damage to local music scenes than they're anticipating because instead of fostering community, it's just like, I can't believe those cocksuckers got the spot that we should have got. So automatically you're causing division in a group of musicians that should be unified to make a better music scene, but you come out of it bitter and just fucking right pissed off and it just <laughs> ruins the local 100%. music. We'll, we'll move, we'll, we'll deviate, away, deviate away from that before we get ourselves into uh, some more hot water with it. Nick, I know you wanted to talk about something completely different. So we'll Yeah, oh, I wanted to go through like, the recording process between your um, discography, because correct me if I'm wrong, but your first release, Bulgarians, is a 10 minute EP, correct? Maybe around there. Yeah, 10 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So I was dabbling on some research just to look at you guys up, and is it true you recorded that in a basement? (laughs) The fuck bunker, yeah, yeah. Well, it's uh, (laughs) it was a basement for like a large terraced house, but yeah, it was done in the, the basement. With our good friend Matty G, the mix master on there. So yeah, ah. that was piece by piece in there, someone's basement. And the procedure from <laughs> going from that to a gymnasium. Well, the gymnasium was just for recording. Writing. Uh, re- re- writing. We uh, recorded the last the Guilt record at No Studios in Manchester. Uh, Joe Clayton, he was in the band Leached. So going from like a totally informal setting of just doing it ourselves to having like money down. Studio time books was like a, it kind of lit a fire under us, if you know what I mean, because we can't be fucking around now. We've got to do it properly. And so I think that elevated the whole process. Uh, what what uh, instrumentation do you use? Do you use like eight strings or uh, jazz master baritones? Because this, uh, the writing you do is very heavy. Uh, eight string in drop E. So it's just double drop E on the lowest. Yeah. And it's just all played through just one amplifier rig at the same time. So. Like we've also got, some, got songs on nine string as well, which is just a real girthy piece of machinery. Like, I mean, that's ridiculous. When you've got like a 33 inch skill length, it is just like playing a bass guitar. Because we talked about Bong Ripper before, and I've, I've been listening to Bong Ripper for a few years. Because the one thing that always draws me back in with them is that disgustingly <laughs> sludgy drop tune shit that he does. When I actually watched the rig rundown, I think he was only playing like a six string and then he does the whole thing on pitch shifters and stuff. He does, I think he uses one of them, uh, you know, the MBR type. We've got that as well. You've got one of them. I was going to yeah. say, so that, because I was, unreal. I was hearing the whole bong ripper thing and you're playing in like, also like car bomb, you'll go from your real black metal style riffs and all of a sudden you just get like kicked in the teeth with this sort of like, because you, you always had those drop tunings, obviously with what you were doing. Mm-hmm. it seems like it's more thought out what you're doing with the placement of your riffs and stuff now in, in, in that album, in Guilt, I should say. I, I think I think you're being more generous than it deserves, really. It's just, uh, and we just wrote the songs and just, we, don't, we try not to use effects as a crush, a crutch. Just wherever you can add a little bit of enhancement on top of it, that's where we use it. But we use all the tricks that we can to make a set of songs try and be a little bit interesting, so got a few gimmicks in there but i think going back to the topic of bong ripper have you heard of the the terminal record is it called that they've done yeah yeah yeah. if you listen to that like it's yeah it's slow and sludgy but the production is fantastic on that mm. probably one of the best sounding records you can listen to so that again led us the inspiration from going just recording it ourselves to getting somebody professional to do it for us because it's amazing how much life can be brought out in a record just by being recorded properly yeah it's huge I mean, Cam, Cam's the man for that because that's what Cam does. I, I don't know if you wanted to yeah. chime in on that. I mean, yeah, I haven't been in a studio in like, since Paddy was in a studio. I haven't been in a studio since Paddy was in a studio. 
and to be honest over the last couple of years like over the last year in lockdown I've I've kind of been moving away from studios I think they're bulky and I think they're beautiful and amazing and full of potential but it's starting to get to a point where you can kind of do it on your computer as far as I'm concerned like if you use some of the UAD plugins like they are they are pretty much exactly the same as like the classic new 1073 preamps it is getting amazing I mean, as far as getting someone else doing it, there are plenty of good bands that also have their members producing their music for them. There's no reason that anyone can't get involved. It looks a lot scarier than it is, I think. Is that something you guys stay away from, is doing it yourself in terms of, like, your own production? Or Well, the, the singles, like uh, Garotted and The Persum and Reptilian, that's all used guitar-wise through plugins, the Fortin plugins, so none of that's mm -hmm. real amplifiers, but I just like the sound of the old... Like, I, I can kind of hear, I mean, I might just be bullshitting myself, but I can kind of hear when it's a real performance. And so, oh, that's you definitely can, yeah. Because there's some local bands and uh, they've released music, and it sounds like the blast beats are like just unbelievably fast, the guitar tones just like so tight. But yeah, I'm kind of dubious now because you listen to it, it's like, how much is this real, or how much is this just like a duplication of what it should be? So, I, I'm, I'm mm. kind of striking in the fence on that. I suppose with your with your style of music, you know that for for instance, if I was to come to one of your gigs, I know what I'm going to hear live is pretty much what I'm hearing on the record. Whilst you've gone into the studio and done it all properly, it's just clean, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it's like overproduced to fuck. Your sound is very clean, but it's not tampered with. It's not dissected and clinical. Yeah, I mean, myself and Mal, we recorded the album. Uh, we did it all without click just did it in the room together so, so that it kind of gives it a bit of breath because in the past we've just been absolutely pulverized by click tracks just you just hate it because a lot of the times when you're playing the click you're not performing the song you're performing to land on the click and that kind of chokes it a little bit i think that's just a thought of mine no definitely a, a drummer to drummer I, I I feel your pain in terms of that. Like, if you were playing maybe for some like R and B soul band, it would make sense for you. But when you're doing this kind of stuff, you just naturally always want to follow the rest of the guys in the band. You want to be locked in with them. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, before years and I jammed here and there with Rob years ago, long before we started this band. Um, I've got absolutely no problems with the riffs Rob comes up with. Um, I've always been able to bounce off Rob. His riffs have always worked with what I'm trying to do. Um, it's, it just works. So, so yeah, it, it, it normally I'm always listening out for the, the, the riff. Uh, I personally don't have a problem work, working to the click, um, but um, we've just tried it. And I think it does give sometimes a, a subtle, but uh, it's like kind of a, a more of a human fail. It gets rid of the, the soullessness, if you will. You can hear tiny little imperfections. And it just gives it a bit of character. I think it definitely matters. It definitely, definitely matters when it's, it's played in personally and I, I always look back on like records from the 70s and the 60s and, and appreciate that about for sure it's, it's kind of in a lot of ways it's it's a shame that to be like industry standard like session drummer nowadays you have to be able to work that click whereas beforehand it was just 100 percent nature like it was just you as a human being i think that was my point <laughs> it's just sad <laughs> i think i think it's sad that we like over rely on click tracks yeah the first ep we recorded um that was with um a guy in gateshead near newcastle um <clears throat> Like just the way he worked, it was the first time we recorded, and uh, so we walked in. The click track was on. That was the first time I'd recorded pretty much at all, to be honest. Uh, never mind a click track. I'd played to a metronome at home, but like Rob said, you, you felt like you were trying to follow the click a bit more than you were concentrating on what you were playing. I think that just comes a practice, though. But yeah, the, the no metronome approach worked for us, so I don't see why I would, would change that. So. Chris, I kind of wanted to talk to you because I felt like you've been left out a little bit and I wanted to talk to you about your vocals because I, I'm a big fan of like Trap Them and All Pigs Must Die and Nails and stuff like that. And I've, I hear a lot of that in your vocals, but I wanted to talk about your influences in terms of vocals and what where, where you get your influences from, basically. When I started getting heavy, heavy-ish music, the first bands I liked, it was more um, like Alexis on Fire that was the first time I heard something so kind of heavy and melodic at the same time where it was, you know, intense screaming and then lovely singing on top. Along with that was um, Gallows, listening to the Gallows first first and second album. That was a massive influence on, on myself. It's the first time I'd seen a band where the barrier didn't matter. You know, there's members in the crowd, there's members of the audience on the stage. 
and I saw him doing it. It's no offence to the guy, but he wasn't the best technically, but he was still doing it. And, you know, he took that band for the first album, album or two at least, you know, all over the world. And there was plenty of times when he played live and you could tell that his vocals weren't on, on top form, but he still slid. I mean, it was more the persona, like, you know, no one kind of messed with him. And if they did, you know, they got their arse handed them most of the time. Well, definitely. I mean, I, I saw them, I was lucky to see them on the last ever gig with Frank Carter in Camden at the ULU. You say it about Frank Carter's performance, it was one of the best that I've ever seen. Yeah, I think, like he says in interviews, he got to the point where there was like a glass ceiling. There's only so far you can kind of take that style. Um, obviously, you know, he quit music and he started a new band, then he quit again, he started another band. Um, Gallows, though, now I still like Weird McNeil singing. He's got an excellent kind of punk, gruff tone to him. Do you, do you find, as a as someone who is a Gallows fan, do you find that Gallows now sounds like a really good band covering Gallows as opposed to still Gallows? Because I feel like, for me, Gallows is that sound with Frank Carter. For my own peace of mind, I sort of have to separate the two. Maybe I'm being a bit daft, but I don't know how you feel. No, the first time I saw them was weird. It was either, it was either at um, the O2 in Newcastle or it was at Download one year. And I went, I went along thinking this isn't going to be good. You know, it's going to be like, like karaoke. You know, there's a there's a band playing and there's a guy singing over the top. Um, he's got much better technique, much better stamina. He controls an audience just as well as Frank. I just think when Frank Carter came out, you know, when Gallows came out with Frank Carter, they were all over Q, they were all over Kerrang, and they got so much press. If they've got that much press when Wade joined them, I think they'd be on the same level that they were. It's just a shame they haven't had the, as much promotion. No, for sure, for sure. I definitely agree. With, with seeing Wade McNeil live as well, seeing that comparison, I seen them with Wade uh, at 2000 Trees Festival. And um, it was the famous one where he's actually covered head to toe in mud. And uh, I remember him being, I was literally at the barrier and he's just showering every single one of us in this shit that he's dragged out of. Because it was torrential rain. Like, he's just throwing, but he broke, I think he went through three or four microphones in that, in one set because he just waterlogged every single fucking microphone. But um yeah, definitely he still captivated the audience, you know, he still had that that prowess that Frank had. It was just different. He's got a bit of a poison chalice, you know, like Gallows hit this massive high and then the main guy leaves and then you've got to feel sorry for any poor cunt who's then got to, to fill those shoes, if you will. With with vocals, is that where you were sort of you say you're not technical, but I hear technicalities in it. Even if you if you're not, I hear a nuance to your vocals. Like like I said, with Trap Them, especially your vocals remind me of the guy from Trap Them. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with an American sort of grind thrash hardcore band. You've got a very similar tone, and that is only achieved through some level of like uh, confidence in your own ability. See, when it comes to the confidence thing, when I'm in the studio, I'm always the one shit myself because Mal and Rob have laid their bits down and especially with Rob, Rob can kind of take, I assume you can take your time, you know, he's playing an instrument where with my instrument comes from, you know, me throat, you know, if I, if I mess that up within two songs, that's my day in the studio ruined. So I'm always really self-conscious about that. It's just a case of over the years, I've learned to pace myself, not, not to push it too hard. You don't want to, you know, go all Billy Big bollocks. And then you've ruined your recording experience by having to go down another day and track your vocals again. Mm, no, for sure. It's a very under, underestimated uh, part of being a vocalist in a metal band is just pacing yourself. Yeah, you get that thing as well. Like when we play gigs live, I'm always shitting myself. I'm like, it probably takes me maybe a song or two to warm up. Um, I've started doing the thing of sitting in the car and doing little vocal warm ups in the toilet, doing vocal warm ups. And I might look like an idiot doing the whole, you know, me, 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 mm -hmm. me, me, and that. But at the same time, you know, drummers sit there doing, you know, practicing the rudiments. You know, guitarists will sit there warming up the hands. There's no, there's no difference from what I'm doing. But I always worry that I'm going to go on stage and go for it, and it's not going to come out. That's always my my main worry is that we're going to play a big gig, and the first note, your voice just isn't there. Yeah, I, I think that's something that's definitely more appreciated in in recent years as well. Even though it's always been a thing, obviously, like looking after your own voice. But in, in the metal community, you're seeing more vocalists coming through who are educating people like, you know, like people like Phil Bozeman and Dickie Allen and, you know, even uh, Alex Terrible from uh, Slaughter to Prevail. These, these guys are now sort of teaching people like, now you really have to 
do this properly we are singers you know we we do have a responsibility for our own even though we're trying to be these fucking nutcases on stage you just scream into a mic there, there has to be a level of uh regimency to what you're doing to enable you to actually carry on doing it if you actually give a shit uh, you know i'll i'll play our music to friends family co-workers and they just say oh you're just bloody screaming down a microphone and it's you know what you try doing that for 45 minutes on state like you know you you give it a go and tell us how you know how untalented it is I actually I wanted to ask you about that kind of moment when you were saying that sometimes you like you're worried that you're going to go for it and it's not going to come out on a live show like those like 30 seconds that walk on stage is a weird moment that lasts a very long time like what's kind of running through your head before it happens and then and then once that note comes out inevitably like what's the kind of feeling there before we go on, it's usually Robin Mallet setting all their gear up and I'm back and forth to the loo about 20, 30 times, you know, just like a racehorse. And then it's a case if it, there's, you know, music playing. When the house music goes down, it's like, you know what, this is, this, time to go. this is it. It's time to go. Like, Real, yeah. Sometimes you've got to let the PA do the work. You know, if we've done three gigs in a row and it's for the fourth night, my voice isn't going to be as good. You know, I might not, you know, I might have had a few drinks too many the night before. Mm. I've just got to pace myself. It's not like, not too much excess that's it really and you know if we've got to drive a three or four hour journey home and i've got to just stay silent for that time so be it it's just looking after yourself really no i think it's, it's it's definitely incredibly important when you're pulling off the kind of vocals that yourselves are doing i think with our style as well it would be so easy because it is there is like a, a big kind of black metal kind of undertone to it it'd be so easy to do kind of just a, a standard like lows all the way through i think with the way i do it it's a bit more not exactly punk, but kind of a hardcore-ish element to it. Mm. Well, you can yeah, tell it's them. more from your throat than from your like guts. Yeah, there's like loads of bands that you you see them play, and they've just got the house volume right up high. They're just making whispers into the microphone, which kind of kills the vibe as well. Yeah. <laughs> you wanted to talk about the the black circle cult as well. Do you want to? Yeah, I did. I was reading some uh some interviews that you'd done previously. And uh, there was a mention that you were inspired by uh, a Norwegian metal band that had uh, the head member of the Black Circle cult. Oh, was it Dissection or Mayhem, one of the two? It'd be Mayhem. Mayhem had the Black Circle, yeah. Yeah, well, uh, apparently this, uh, I wanted to, to see what you knew about the cult because the cult was famous for like multiple murders and suicides and various satanic rituals. And I just uh, I just wanted to hear the history from yourselves because I don't know much about it. I, had, I read this one paragraph and was instantly like, I need to know more. Well, it was based on the second wave of the Norwegian heavy metal. And in retrospect, it was just a bunch of young lads that got too much involved with each other and just made right asses of themselves. But like uh, they've got the church burnings and the murdering and stuff like that. But even though they did kill people, I think they were still more barked than bite like the only little lads. Was it? Is it? Has it been kind of sensationalised by media since a kind of anti-metal propaganda? There were some some troublemakers just trying to make a name for themselves, but the rest of it was just uh, media hype and then the surviving band members using that to book tours for the next 30 years. It's, it's such a polite way of describing him as young troublemakers when you have people like Varg. <laughs> people like Varg yeah. who stabbed the man 38 times in the back in self-defence. It's only 27 times. Don't Sorry. Allegedly. Yeah. Allegedly. <laughs> I mean, because Vikinez is totally banned from, you can't even have like a Burzum logo or anything on Instagram It just get immediately shut down. I mean, obviously he is a nutter, but then again, it's just, that is a weird concept being totally erased from modern social media. I think it with, with that, it was to do with the, um, because when he got released from prison for the, uh, the, the, old, the old stabbing, he went and started a online neo-Nazi uh, forum. And I think mm. that was the reason that, not because Burzum shouldn't exist, but it was just like, just in case he has anything to do with it, we'll probably just shut it down. See, that's the problem with all the Vikernes and uh, music and generalists that like, I think the records were great, but he's obviously a nutter. Where should I stand on that? Do you separate the artist totally from the music? You should do absolutely. Like I, I still like listening to Michael Jackson, but I mean, we know what the man's capable of. You do have to separate the music from the artist, but it just depends on your moral standpoint on at which point you decide to separate it. You know, I'm, you know, I'm, man, I'm not sure. I think I think that you're if, if by say say you listen to him on Spotify, you're directly funding 
funding them. And I'm not saying that I'm not guilty for this. I listened to the Smiths and Morrissey's a questionable kind of guy. Well, he's just a Tory. He's just, I mean, yeah, he's a bit more, he's like a fucking Tory on steroids. And also, you can't be possible, you physically can't fund Michael Jackson or Gary Glitter because they're dead. So you're not paying them to go out and non-small kids. You just... So do we have to wait till they die? Or do we just put people that we like that like turn bad to death so we can listen to them? Well, there's a there's like a, in retrospect, there's a video from me from 2006 singing Last Train Home by fucking oh. <laughs> so, It was just in a club, but uh, I, I I draw the like murdering church burning, that's fine, you can get away with that. Nonsense. <laughs> Too much for me, like nonsense. No, uh, church burning. Yes, <laughs> that's how we'll that's how we'll open the podcast. Many <laughs> churches get burned down in Sunderland uh, in the next couple of days. We're fucked. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you are fucked. Even if it's even if it's a lightning storm, you you guys are still. That's it. It's on your name now. <laughs> well, well, if we get pulled up for that, I'll go go lock from off in the fucking hundred and sixty players a month we get on Spotify. Hopefully, we'll break triple digits if one of us gets done. <laughs> Okay, well, I think I think we've uh, come to a uh, come to a wonderful climax in the conversation. <laughs> uh, I wanted to thank you boys for coming on wholeheartedly. I love listening to your music, genuinely, and it's a pleasure to have you guys here. Maybe in a year's time, we'll get you back on and we'll uh, we'll see where everyone's at by then. Uh, also, if you haven't been arrested for any church burnings, because if you have, then we might not be able to like sort of be be affiliated anymore. So, yeah, thank you so much for being on. And uh, you can check out more of Yes in, in the zine. You'll be able to read a full sort of concise, lovely write-up with the boys. Where, where can everyone find you as well on social media? What's your... Uh... So it's facebook.com forward slash Yersin official. Instagram, it is Yersin band. And Twitter, it is also Yersin official on there. Perfect. Go and check them out. The latest record is Guilt. It is heavy as fuck. Thank you so much for being on and we will catch up with you again very soon. Thanks a lot, man. Thank you, guys. See you later, man.